Okay, good morning. Welcome to Bible class. Welcome to our listening audience. We're happy to have you here. And today we're going to talk about Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 has the... Um, it's the most extensive discussion of baptism in the New Testament. Uh, there are certainly verses that refer to baptism in uh, the Gospels and in some of the epistles. There are some allusions to baptism, but just a discussion of baptism, uh, chapter 6, is, is uh, the most extensive and and really gets into many of the details not all but many and so uh, the other thing we need to look for uh, in these verses is what's called the now not yet baptism does not just apply to the future, to the end times, to eternal life. Baptism has implications now. Now. And so we need to look for the now, not yet, as we go through these verses. If you will recall in chapter one of the closing verses reminded us that when the law came, the transgressions increased. But God's grace super increased. That thought is on Paul's mind as he writes the first verse of chapter 6. Therefore, what shall we say? Shall we persist in sin in order that grace may abound? Okay, so what he's trying to get at is this. You know, after reading that passage, you know, the law came and the trespasses increased, and, but God's grace has increased more. Well, it, it leads people to think, you know, God loves to forgive, and we love to sin. We're all set. The more we sin, the more God will forgive. Let's get to it. Okay? That's what Paul is talking about here. He is trying to see that no one thinks that way. And so, verse 2. By no means. That is not the way it works. For we being dead to sin, how will we still live in it? Now, death in the first 11 verses of Romans the word death is used ten times. Ten verbs, four nouns. 
So we need to talk about this, and we need to talk about that phrase, being dead to sin. What does it mean to be dead to sin? We're going to look at some other verses that will help us with this. But that's the key to this passage. And I want to go back to what I said about now and not yet. This is not just talking about us being dead to sin when we die and go to heaven. This is also talking about us being dead to sin now. There are implications for the now. So he's saying, if you're dead to sin, how are you going to still live in it? Because the understanding, we understand and know what it is to be in sin. We have been in sin since Adam sinned. What does being in sin mean? It means that we are enslaved to sin and can do nothing else. Can do nothing else. Now you say, well, uh, unbelievers do good things at times. How are they enslaved to sin all their lives? Because there is no faith. We are told without faith, nothing is acceptable to God. Not even what a person may do in love toward one another, and they're not believers, it's still not done in faith. And without faith in Jesus Christ, all works are unacceptable to God. So a person that is without faith in Christ, even though uh, the lady next door bring, brings you the most delicious apple pie you've ever tasted. You love it, but it is not a work acceptable to God because there is no faith in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, we're told without faith it is impossible to please Him. So you are either in sin or you are dead to sin. But if you're dead in sin, it says you no longer can live and thrive in that. That's what's being said. Now, being dead to sin simply means you no longer have to obey it. You are no longer in flight. There is another option. You didn't have that option before you believed in Jesus Christ. 
Nobody does. But in Jesus Christ, being dead to sin means there is another option. We'll talk about that more as we go along. Okay? And then, verse 3. Don't you understand that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus, into we were baptized into his death. Okay. We were baptized into his death. Now let's talk about baptism here a little bit. The verb tense here is you were baptized. Nobody baptizes themselves. Okay. The great misunderstanding about baptism is that we have gotten this notion that baptism is our act of coming to God. That it is our act of coming to Him. It is the parent's act of bringing the child to Christ. That it is our conscious decision to do so. Now, when we start emphasizing that it is us and our action coming to God, we lose the promises of baptism. And then you'll hear it called things like christening or naming, or you have to come forward and make your decision to be baptized, and suddenly baptism is turned in on you. If baptism is turned in on us, then there are no assurances in baptism because we are sinful. If it's dependent on our action, we can't trust it because we are sinful people. Baptism is the act of God coming to us in water and word. It is God coming to us to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. It is God's grace. That's the wonderful thing about infant baptism. What can that baby do to contribute to this? Nothing. It's all God's doing. Baptism is God coming to us. And we can't forget that or we lose the promises of baptism. Okay, so, don't you understand that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. What does it mean to be baptized into the death of Christ. A lot of people like to talk about a mystical union, but we're certainly united with Christ, and the word united will be used later. 
what we're really talking about here is this. What Christ did in the past is now in our present. It's making present to us what happened in the past. Christ died on the cross of Calvary, and you, through baptism, die with Him. Okay? Die with Him. And it's going to go on in here, because there's all kinds of... We, we are baptized, we are uh, dead with Christ, we're buried with Christ, we're crucified with Christ. Baptism takes what is in the past and makes it present for the individual. The individual. In other words, it's made yours. It's made yours. The death of Christ is made yours. The burial of Christ is made yours. The crucifixion of Christ is made yours. The resurrection of Christ is made yours in baptism. But notice how it doesn't use the first or second person, I or you, it says we. There's a corporate thing here too. Corporate thing when you're baptized. Individually, you are made a... you die with Christ. But in so doing, you are members of the body of Christ. What do we say at the end of every baptism? We welcome you into the Lord's family and receive you as a fellow member of the body of Christ, a child of the same heavenly Father and an heir with us of the kingdom of God, us. So when you're baptized, it is for you individually, but makes you part of the whole body. So what Christ did in the past is present for you, and then it makes you also a part of the entire body of Christ. Okay? All right, so we're baptized into his death, verse 4. We were crucified with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so also we walk, will walk in the newness of life. Okay, there it is. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been uh, through baptism, into his death. But what's the result? So that, okay, so that as Christ rose from the dead, 
So we now talked about death, crucifixion, and resurrection. We are united with him. But here's the, the thing I was talking about. Well, let's first of all talk about through the glory of the Father. What's the glory of the Father? Glory and power are uh, interrelated in a lot of these verses. And so what it's actually saying is God exercised, uh, or God, uh, it's God's power exercised gloriously. <laughs> gloriously. God's power exercised gloriously. Now, notice, Paul is carrying a theme through. At the beginning, in chapter 1, he made it clear that we sinful men had exchanged the glory for sin. Then in chapter 3, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the glory is back. Only this time it's a gift of God to us. We blew it. Now through the resurrection, the glory returns. The glory returns. But then, so it says, so that we might walk uh, in, it's actually the renewed life the renewed life. Here is the now. As I said, we often has, have, this, uh, have this notion that baptism uh, assures us of forgiveness and eternal life. This verse makes it very clear that baptism is working now. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You no longer have to obey it. You now have another option. Why do you have another option? Because you've been crucified, died, and risen again with Jesus Christ. And so the renewed life is now there for you. You don't have to obey sin. Through the power of your baptism into Jesus Christ, you are now strengthened to lead a different life, a renewed life, a God-pleasing life, because you are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, it's not saying that you can now do that perfectly. There's always the saint sinner thing going on. Always. But it's saying you don't have to sin. Okay. And there is a new life waiting for you. Now, this new life is both the now and the not yet. 
It is beginning now in the life of the Christian believer. It will be perfected in you when Jesus Christ comes again. And it's the renewed life because it's the life God wanted Adam to live in the first place. And you will live that life in heaven, but it already begins now. So that your baptism is not just something for the future. And Luther would say this very clearly, that through daily repentance, okay, the old sinful nature is drowned and dies and the new man comes forth. But as Luther also said, the problem is the old man's an awful good swimmer. All right, so this has definite implications for our lives today. Today. We walk. We walk the walk of renewed life. Okay. Verse 5. And by the way, that, that word was not crucified with, we were, it was buried with. Okay, so, for if we have been united and grow together in a death like his, okay, then we will be in resurrection like his. Okay, so um, if, and, and I know that's a different translation, we are united with and we grow together with. There are actually two verbs here, and uh, uh, they, they each deserve emphasis. We are growing in a death like his. Okay? In other words, we are united in his death. And then he makes the point, we are then united with him in his resurrection. Okay? If he died in baptism, we die. If he rose, we rise. Okay? That's what we're being told. That's the promise of God. Okay? That's the promise of God. And, and it's, uh, we will be resurrected. Okay, now, knowing this, that the old, our old man was crucified in order that the body of sin might come to nothing. And we no longer serve sin. All right, let's talk about this. The old 
sinful nature, or the old Adam, as it is called, is that nature that you were born with. And all men, as we know, all human beings are born in sin. The old sinful nature was uh, was crucified, has been crucified. In other words, when Christ was nailed to the cross, your old sinful nature was nailed to the cross. Your old sinful nature. It died. It died with Christ. In order that the body of sin, okay, all sin, might come to nothing. And you uh, no longer serve sin. Okay, so we're back to where we started. The obedience and the enslavement was to sin. Now, you have been died with Christ, buried with Christ, uh, crucified with Christ, raised with Christ. All of it. And all through the New Testament, all through Paul's letters, he uses with Christ. You're seated with Christ. You're all, all kinds of things. Because this has occurred, because you are united with Christ and the old sinful nature is dead, you don't have to serve sin anymore. You don't have to do it. Before there was no alternative, you don't have to serve Doesn't mean we're not going to do it at times. What it means is you don't have to. You have been freed because what Christ did for you. Okay? Now, as long as you're in this world, there's going to be that tension. And that tension is going to be discussed in detail in chapter 7 of Romans but we're not going to get ahead of ourselves, okay? We need, this needs to be a building process. All right. Uh, seven, four. Uh, verse seven is, is uh, let's see, it reads, for one who has died has been set free from sin. That's not exactly what it says. Exactly what it says is, for the one who died has been declared right with God from sin. Okay? 
has been declared right with God. And how are we declared right with God? We're declared right with God by faith. We cannot separate faith and baptism. Okay? You do, you cause all kinds of problems. Then you get the person who's been baptized and hadn't been to church for 40 years saying, oh, I was baptized. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. You can't separate faith from baptism. When a child is baptized, one of the things we say is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, faith has worked in that child's heart. Faith has worked in that child. So we never want to separate justification by faith from baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is a means by which God gives a person the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, but it is not apart from faith. It is not apart from faith. And this verse makes that clear. Uh, it's... it's uh, Again, the verb form there is, is, says that uh, the one who died, that's a one-time event, has been declared right with God, is a future event with implication. Okay? It's a, uh, uh, that's the verb form, with future implications. Okay? Verse 8, for if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. All right. It would do us no good to be baptized into only the death of Christ. This is again, and I want to emphasize this, now not yet. You have been resurrected with Christ now. Because you have a new life now. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is powerful enough to do that for us. So you're raised now. You've been raised to new life, and you're going to be raised on the last day to eternal life. Both. Both. All right. Nine. Uh... Knowing that Christ was raised from the dead, no longer to die, for death has no authority over him. All right. Um, we have all kinds of examples of people in the New Testament that were raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
the widow at Nain was raised, uh, the widow's son at Nain was raised from the dead. Um, uh, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Did they die again? Yes. Even though they were raised from the dead at that time, they died again. This is saying Jesus is not like that. He died, but he's not going to die again. So death has authority over us still. We will physically die. But it has no such power over Christ who will not die again. Who will not die again. Everybody with me? Okay. Ten. For uh, his death, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Okay. That's very critical. Very critical. He died once and once for all. You see, that's why we have serious problems with the Catholic Mass. We, we can't just say it is the, um, our equivalent of Holy Communion. Because the Catholic Church teaches that the Catholic Mass is a re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every time they do it, it is a re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As if the first one didn't work. As there was something lacking in the first one. And how does a priest have the authority to re-sacrifice Jesus Christ? I mean, it's just... We just can't abide it. Christ died once for all. It says that here. It also says it in the book of Hebrews. He died once, and his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, was fully accepted by God to pay for the sins of the world. And how do we know that? He raised him from the dead. If he had not raised him from the dead, the sacrifice was no good. He raised him from the dead, and therefore, that one sacrifice forgives all sins, and that sacrifice never has to be done again. When he said it's is finished, he meant it. Okay. So there is no re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no re-sacrifice. 
And then the verse goes on. And what he lives, he lives to God. Okay. He died to sin once for all, and now he lives and he lives to God. And he's pointing us to that. We have died with Christ. We have been united with Christ. Now we live. Whatever we live, we live to God. We live to God. And so the question becomes, do you live to God? When you get up every morning and you recognize you're baptized, is the first thing you say, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live? Because you're baptized with Christ, the old sinful nature is drowned, you're a new person, you can live in the renewed life, and you can live not to sin, but to God. But to God. And that has implications now. I hope you've seen here that in this discussion of baptism, it's not just a discussion of eternal life in the last day. We like to talk about baptism as being the door to heaven, and it is. But baptism has infinite application to our everyday life. We live as baptized people, individually and as a whole. And so baptism is that which we can focus on as our power, not just to say I'm going to heaven someday, but our strength and power to live for Christ every day. When we're faced with sin, to say, I got another choice. Now, that's not easy. Because usually we, sin, we know how to sin fast. Okay. We seldom stop and think about it. But we can. We can. So, also, verse 11. Count yourselves, on the one hand, dead to sin, and on the other hand, alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right. That Greek word, count yourself, we've seen it time and time again in Romans, because uh, God counts us as righteous. Now what's being said is count yourself dead to sin. And it's not that you did it. You're counting yourself that way because God counts you that way. God counts you dead to sin. You can count yourself dead to sin. Remind yourself you're dead to sin. 
remind yourself you're not enslaved any longer or obedient or have to obey it. You're dead to sin, but you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's not the same as through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was said three times in chapter 5. In Christ Jesus. Okay. Through Christ, it's all been mentioned. Death, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. In Christ, you have died to sin. You've been buried. You have been crucified. You have been resurrected. Your sin has been nailed to the cross. Okay? Just as you will be buried, Christ was buried and went ahead of it for you. You are dead to sin, but now you are alive to God. You're alive to God. And that applies every day, every single moment of your life. Now, not just on the last day when Jesus comes again. Now. Okay? So, you can know today... You've already been raised with Christ. Okay? You're a new person through your baptism. Yeah, bud. Yeah. Well, uh, the glory of God is hard to define. Um, but the glory is many times inseparably entwined with the power of God. And that's why I described it as the power of God gloriously exercised. Okay? We see His glory. Uh, glory is something that only God possesses. Okay. We don't have any glory. We did, and we gave it up for sin. We exchanged it. But uh, beyond that, it's very hard to define. Oh, it is. Uh, uh, every time a child is baptized, the glory of God is there. The glory of God is what was present over the Ark of the Covenant. Um, pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Um, the glory of God is His active power and work. Is the glory of God here right now? Absolutely. It's working in us. You wouldn't be here for Bible class if God wasn't working in you. 
It's all a part of His glorious work. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's go back to what I talked about last week. Objective justification. Jesus Christ died and rose again for all human beings. No one is excluded. But that doesn't mean every human being is going to heaven. Subjective justification is, it is given to the person by God, maybe through baptism, through faith. But remember I told you, we can't separate faith and baptism. So, on the day of your baptism, you were baptized with Christ into death, burial, crucifixion, resurrection. And that is yours, unless you reject it. It's not good, no matter how you turn your back on God. It's not a lifetime guarantee. You can reject it. And that is why some are saved and some are not. Now, the whole matter of election, when we get to chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, we're going to discuss election in detail. Because it's all throughout those chapters. But we'll wait till then. Maybe the Lord will come again. And I won't have to talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's, it's what you said to begin with. In fact, the scripture says, uh, Paul says, I would not have known what it was to covet unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So what it's saying is the law came and people knew they were sinful, but now the law says this, 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 and this. And that made sin abound even more. Yeah, that made sin abound even more. Right, anything else? Now next week we'll be on, oh, okay, yeah, Dennis. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Paul? Okay, what's the difference between infant baptism and adult baptism? None. I, I know. But uh, here's, here's the scriptural example we point to, which is Acts. Uh, uh, chapter 8, uh, the, the eunuch, the Ethiopian, in the carriage. In the carriage, and, and uh, uh, Philip uh, takes him up into the carriage, and from the passages that are quoted, we know that he's talking about Isaiah 53. 
and he explains the gospel to him, and the man says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? He says nothing, and he's baptized. That's the only thing we have to go on. And so the church has followed, has followed the pattern that we just baptize an infant, but we instruct an adult and then baptize them. An infant cannot understand the instruction. An adult can. So we don't just randomly walk down the street and throw water at people and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With adults, we instruct first. Now, the debate has always been how much instruction. But I'm not chasing that rabbit today. Yes. Okay. Um, the infant, uh, the question is, what happens with the infant that dies before they're baptized? Uh, the church simply says we entrust them into the hands of God. Because there is no scriptural example or teaching. Now, some try to make the parallel with circumcision. You can't circumcise a girl. Does that mean all the girls in the Old Testament went to hell? No. But there is no passage that we can point to that answers the question. So we have always said we entrust them to the mercy of God. He will decide. He will decide. And if I go farther than that, then I've gone farther than what the Scripture says. We would all say they go to heaven, but up to God. Thief on the cross was saved by faith in Jesus Christ. A person can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and maybe they never had the chance to be baptized. So faith in Jesus Christ saves likewise. Okay. And by the way, just to say it before we close, you never have to be rebaptized. Okay. Uh, we talked about how we have problems with the Catholic Mass because they re-crucify, re-sacrifice Christ. Well, uh, to be rebaptized is to say God didn't do it right the first time. Okay? So we don't do that. Now, if we find, some people can't find any record of their baptism and don't know, we will rebaptize them. But um, if you were baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your baptism is valid. Okay. And we're over time. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.